So Luke 24. Start there. No, I don't. <laughs> I mean, what is half of nothing? So Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to go ahead and read it, then we'll pray, and then we'll get into the lesson. He says here, Now upon the first day of the week, uh, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And that's what that's supposed to be. That's supposed to be a, a picture of the sepulcher. Um, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. And, the, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles, and their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. And then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. Father in heaven, we look to you now, Lord God, for your help, uh, especially um, in... Uh, those of our family who are uh, suffering affliction I'm thinking of Bobby Blaine and her her granddaughter and her her daughter-in-law and the family uh, that she um, uh, loves so much and prays for daily I pray Lord also for Sherry uh, that you would give her wisdom that you would give her insight that you would give her the words uh, that Karen needs to hear as uh, as she uh, as um, Sherry shares with her uh, the uh, the joy of of knowing Jesus Christ and of, a, of a, having eternal life and having her sins forgiven. I pray, Father in heaven, that you would just bless that visit. I pray, Father in heaven, that uh, you would bless this time as we look into your word. And we just want to thank you so much for sending your son, uh, having him die on the cross on our behalf, be buried, and miraculously, wonderfully, gloriously rose again, Father, ensuring that we will also have eternal life for those who believe in him. We thank you and pray you in Christ's name. Amen. Alright, so we're looking here now at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I entitled this, Too Good to Be True. And um, you know the chapters of Matthew 28, Mark 16, right here Luke 24 and John chapter 20 are the most important chapters in your New Testament. Do you ever think of that? They are the most important chapters in uh, your New Testament. Now, why, you might ask? Well, I'm going to let somebody else answer that question. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17, this is what Paul wrote. He said, If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Of course, Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20. What is the subject of all of those chapters? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, the entire New Testament, along with Paul's and Peter's and John's and, Jude, and Jude's epistles, uh, the book of Revelation, all of those books hinge upon what we're getting ready to study. All of those books hinge upon what we get ready to study. All the four Gospels. The book of Acts, if you stop and think about it, the book of Acts would be a sham. sham. Uh, It would be the greatest con ever foisted upon mankind if what happened did not happen. As far as the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it would have been nothing more than a fable. Nothing more than a fable. And yet it is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we learn of men who at one time who were fearful, who were hiding out, who were doubtful, even unbelieving. Uh, These men went out and just turned the world upside down. 
with the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I get ahead of myself. Uh, so what we're going to look at is uh, what Luke ends his gospel with, and that is, of course, uh, the thing that that started everything, right? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. It essentially started everything. So um, it says here, upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, uh, they came onto the sepulcher, uh, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. So the first thing is perplexed. Perplexed. Uh, so the first day of the week would be Sunday. Okay? Would be Sunday. Uh, these particular women um, came very early in the morning. Uh, Mark 16.2 tells us at sunrise. So just as the sun was beginning to lighten up that day, uh, they headed for the headed for the tomb. And what was their purpose? Why were they going there? To prepare the dead body of Jesus. That was the reason why they were going. And uh, so they were going to uh, prepare the body of Jesus. Now, let me ask another question. What did these women expect to find when they got when they went there? A dead man in a tomb and a stone blocking the way. That's what they expected to find. They expected to find the body of Jesus still in that tomb where they had watched Joseph and Nicodemus place it when they had removed it from the cross and uh, hastily store his body away in this tomb and then roll the, the stone over this tomb. Now, I've read some who claim uh, that these women had made a mistake uh, being you know, full of grief, uh, they were confused. And what they did is they ended up arriving at a totally different locale. It wasn't the actual tomb that, that Jesus was uh, buried in. They made a mistake. Um, you know what my learned opinion is on that? You know what it is. That's exactly what it is. I mean, they're just they're just some comments that aren't worth a worth a classy reply, and that's just one of them. These women expected to come to care for the body of a dead friend. That's what they expected. Uh, they expected to come to care for the greatest man they knew, take care of his body. Um, now their hope is gone. Their joy is gone. So when they came, they were sad. They were grief-stricken. And think about what may be in their, going in their minds, you know. They thought he was the Messiah. They thought that he was the Savior in their minds. They thought he was the Lord in their minds. Now, maybe not. Now, maybe not. I I don't know. Now, maybe not. But for sure, he was a beloved friend. For sure, he was the best man they ever knew. Their faith may have wavered, but not their love. Not their love. That's why they were going back to the tomb. They were going to take care of this person that they loved. That they loved. That's what they were doing. And so even though their faith may have wavered, yet their love uh, did not cease, even, even, even when he was dead. And we know this because of their bringing the spices. You know? They were bringing these spices out of love and, and, and respect for Jesus. Uh, these women showed the right heart attitude of love and respect to Christ's memory, but in the wrong way. Now, why do I say that? Because they forgot what he told them. He forgot, they forgot what he told them. What did Jesus say? If you love me, keep... Yeah, when we think of keeping my commandments, we think of obeying, don't we? But at the same time, don't we keep them in our hearts? Don't we remember his words? That's also part of it. That's also part of it. 
see the same errors committed by a lot of folks today. Uh, They only look back at the death of Jesus. Uh, They still portray him hanging on a cross. Uh, Many claim him as Savior, but that's as far as it goes. That's as far as it goes. Yeah, he's my Savior, but I'm not going to follow him. I'm not going to call him my Lord. I'm not going to serve him. But he is my Savior. He is my Savior. They're satisfied with a memory of a crucified Savior, but they're depriving themselves of the joy and power of him being their Lord. Of him being their Lord. Now, what was their chief concern? You mentioned it. What are we going to do about the stone? What are we going to do about the stone? It's what they said here in Mark 6.13. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the tabernacle? The chief concern of these good-hearted women was, Who in the world is going to take this stone out of the way? This thing, some guys estimate 300, 500, up to 1,000 pounds. Can you move a 300-pound stone? Or a 500-pound stone? That's what that, that was their chief concern. But un, unbeknownst to them, <laughs> that little problem has already been taken care of. Because according to Matthew 28.2, an angel came down, accompanied with an earthquake, and removed the stone. He picked that stone up and set it down on the ground. And those soldiers that were there that the Jewish leadership wanted to guard, what happened to those guys? They fainted away as if they were dead men, didn't they? Yeah, so so the stone was, they didn't know this, but the stone was already taken care of. The, this barrier that was a source of anxiety for these troubled women had already been removed. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. I don't know how many times I've witnessed this, and I know you guys have witnessed this. I don't know how many times I've witnessed this, that, that God works for those he loves. He, he works for those that he leads. He works for those that uh, are in his will. It's like he goes before them. And takes care of all the obstacles that they fret about. <laughs> Maybe that's happened to you. It's happened to me, I don't know how many times. I'll fret and fret and fret over something and lo and behold, he's already taken care of it. He's already dealt with it. <clears throat> Even now at this very moment, he's preparing something on our account. Anybody want to guess what that is? A place for us. You get a gold star. John 14.1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. That's because of the empty tomb. He's already preparing a place for you and me. Now, I'll probably have a shack in the back somewhere, but hey, it's in heaven. Who am I to complain? I'd rather have a shack in heaven than a palace in hell. And that stone being removed... You think that was to let Jesus out? No, he was already yeah, he was already out of there. No, that stone was removed to let people in. So they could see for themselves, hey, he's not here. He's not here. So what did they find when they finally showed up at the right place? What did they find? They found the stone removed. 
And I believe Luke says that they entered in and found not the body of Jesus. So they found the stone removed and they found the body gone. Now again, put yourself in their place. You show up, the stone's removed. There's that gaping open door. What are you going to think? Oh no. What's happened? Did somebody steal his body? Or did somebody go in and, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Desecrate the body? Did his enemies go in and desecrate the body? Now, who, who knows what was going through their minds? Who knows what was going through their minds? And what they discovered perplexed them. What they expected to find, they did not find. And what they did not expect to find, they, they found. Don't ask me to repeat that. Right? They found the unexpected. They found the unexpected. The body that they expected to prepare was no longer there. Oh, I'm a poet and I didn't know it. It wasn't there anymore. It was gone. So what was their reaction to what they found? Verse 4. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed. They're about perplexed. In fact, Luke says they were much perplexed. I know I would be. But they saw had no reason for it. They had no reason for it. They were totally at a loss. They, they didn't know how to make any sense of what it was that they were seeing with their own eyes. The only other time that this particular word perplexed, you know, in the Greek shows up, Luke also uses it because Luke is a very articulate man, very educated man. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 7 through 9, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed. Very same word. Because that it was said of some that John was risen from the dead, and of some that Elias had appeared, and of others that one of the old prophets was risen again. And Herod said, John have I beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. So Herod was perplexed about Jesus. Just like these women were perplexed of where is his body? There's a lot of Herods out there. A lot of Herods in this world who are perplexed. Who is this Jesus anyway? A lot of folks who are perplexed about Jesus. But there's also God's people who are perplexed about Jesus. Kind of confused about Jesus. There's a lot of Christians out there that have the wrong perspective or the wrong understanding of who Jesus is. And you can see it in their life, in the way they talk. I heard heard one time an old-time preacher say, one thing we can always expect from God is that he will do the unexpected. And I think the reason why the things that God does is unexpected to us is because we forget what he says in his word. So when he does, because he never does anything outside of his word, nothing contrary to his word. So when he does something and we're, it's unexpected to, no, it's totally in accordance to his word. He never, never does anything contrary to his word. Have you ever been involved or seen something what is, it, what is the phrase they, they say well that's a God thing because that's the only way that you can explain it how many times have we heard people get answered prayer because of a serious illness or something going on in their life that you know and all of a sudden boom there's a solution to their problem What is it that people say? Well, it's a God thing. It's a God thing. You know, it's interesting. I don't know about you guys, but it's interesting to me. Do you believe in the supernatural? 
That's not a trick question. Do you believe that God can do whatever he wants to do? Do you believe God still performs miracles today? Then why do we question God when it happens? But we do, don't we? Aren't we more prone to find a natural cause rather than give God the glory? Not only did these women not expect it, but even his own disciples didn't expect it. We see this in this very passage. They also didn't expect it. His enemies didn't expect it, even though they put a guard. In a way, I think the enemies were kind of ahead of the game a little bit. (laughs) But they were more concerned about the disciples stealing the body, not Jesus coming back from the grave. And I'll tell you, you know who the most surprised person out of everybody was? The devil. I guarantee you the devil didn't expect it. You see, if the devil knew that Jesus was going to rise again and take away from him the keys of death and hell, I believe the devil would have followed Jesus around with a soft pillow, making sure he wouldn't have hurt himself. Even the devil was was surprised. So they're perplexed. What follows is they were admonished. In Luke 24, 4, And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. In verse 8, and they remembered his words. See, the issue that these women were focusing on was the body of Jesus. Because they still considered him deceased. They still considered him dead. This is why the angel admonished them with these words, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Guys, get your head around this. That would be so hard if it never happened Exactly. If it would perplex me, it would surprise me. One guy said, man's incredulity is God's opportunity. <laughs> As these women stood there being perplexed, These angels showed up to jolt them out of this state of mind that they found themselves in. They had no hope or expectation of Christ's resurrection, even though he told them. And these two angels, as ministering spirits, were sent by God to tell them, Hey, remember? You remember? Okay, I'm going to get on a little soapbox. Just a little one. Notice that these two garbed and shining garments are described in the male gender. Now this may not be a big deal for you guys. And this is consistent throughout the Bible. Angels are always presented in the masculine. In the masculine. Now here's my soapbox. I'm not a big fan of popular Christianity. And in popular Christianity, when you go to these Christian bookstores and they show you these portraits and pictures of angels, more often than not, how are these angels portrayed? Female, very effeminate, dainty, fragile, pretty, pretty. But is that biblical? See, just because it's got a Christian label on it doesn't mean it's always biblical. And that's the problem with popular Christianity. They don't consider what is biblical. What is is biblical? So there's a fad about angels, and you see it in the brick and brack in these bookstores, 
that they're always feminine. Always feminine. This is a gross misrepresentation of what the Bible says about angels. Um, Angels are powerful, scary, masculine beings. Book of Daniel, Daniel 8.17. I think this is Gabriel who came to visit Daniel. And Daniel writes, So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. I think the name Gabriel means warrior of God. Now, nothing against the feminine physique. (laughs) But to me, when Gabriel showed up, we're talking a very powerful looking being. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he had the six pack and all. I mean, he was just powerful. Just very imposing. So angels are far from effeminate. That's popular in Christian culture. And you know, this is my own opinion, so you can take it with a grain of salt. But I think in popular Christianity, where they present this effeminate portrayal of these powerful beings... I think it's a perpetuation of the Queen of Heaven doctrine uh, that Jeremiah had to struggle with in Jeremiah 7.18. And I think that's in preparation of the great harlot of the tribulation period. But that's just my own opinion. You know, I've got a lot on that, but uh, as an example, there's a particular worldwide denomination that promotes the mother of our Lord on the equal if not above her son it's always a fun discussion so I think that's what that is and it's even in popular so called evangelical Christianity Anyway, the angels in the Bible are powerful. They're imposing. They're masculine beings to do the will of God. Ministering spirits. This would also include the fallen angels. This would also include the fallen angels. In Daniel chapter 10, we read about the struggle between Satan's angels and God's angels and that spiritual warfare. So that's my little soapbox. Angels are not effeminate. They're Powerful masculine beings. Powerful beings. Including these two angels that showed up. So in the presence of these two imposing beings and shining garments, what did the women do? Did they go over and high-five these guys? That's what you see in popular Christianity? No! They, they couldn't even look at them. They were... They were affrighted, is the old. They were afraid of these beings. They were fearful. Just like Daniel, they were fearful. And so their perplexity turned into fear. And these angels admonished these women. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He said, remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. And to me, that's the key word. Remember. That's the key word, remember. The Lord Jesus had certainly told of his death, burial, and resurrection time and time again to his disciples, and I believe these women were there as well to hear it. I went back to Luke's gospel, and I counted five times where Jesus either directly states his death, burial, and resurrection, or he infers it in such a way that you can't make any mistake. As an example, as Noah, or not as, Noah, as um, Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so will be the Son of Man in the belly of the earth. Okay? That's a pretty clear reference. Pretty clear reference. So five times 
Anybody can tell me what the, the Bible number five is, what that represents? Death. Grace and death. Grace and death. So five times he tells about his death, burial, and resurrection. In fact, in Luke 9.44 we read, Let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. Let them sink down into your ears. Now it also says that these things were hid from them. When he would tell them these things, it says that they were also hid from them. Now why do you think they were hid from them? Well, I'm going to give you my reason why I think they were hid from them because they did not want to receive his words that he was telling them and because they did not want to receive these words they weren't grasping they weren't allowing them to sink down into their ears and so that truth because of their unbelief became hidden to them we do the same thing We do the same thing. How many times have you had someone say to you some unpleasant truth or maybe you have gone to somebody with some unpleasant truth and have you ever heard, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that. You know what they've just done? That truth has just now been hidden because they don't want to hear that. They didn't let it sink in their ears. Just because you don't want to hear it doesn't make it any less true. Does it? And you can ignore it all you want, but the consequence of that truth is still going to come to pass. I've been there, done that. Remember when Peter rebuked the Lord for speaking about his death? He said, he said, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. No, I don't want to hear that. Don't talk that way. I don't want to receive that truth. So what did he do? He shut his eyes. He shut his spiritual eyes to that truth. Now close your eyes. Everybody, close your eyes. Can you see me? Am I essentially hidden? I got one person shaking their head no. (laughs) But people do that spiritually all the time. They hear a truth and they shut their spiritual eyes because they don't want to hear it. Daniel... um, Kahneman, he's a um, Israeli-born psychologist. He's a Nobel pre, uh, a Nobel Prize um, uh, winner for psychological research. He said something kind of interesting. Uh, he was noted for his work in examining human judgment and decision making under uncertainty. And this is what he said. He said the brains of humans contain a mechanism that is designed to give priority to bad news. Didn't we already know that? (laughs) If you read your Bible, guess what? Yeah, it's true. And he got a Nobel Peace Prize for this. But anyway, what he said is true. And the disciples, they simply did not want to hear this bad news. Because it didn't fit in their narrative. It didn't fit in their understanding of what Jesus was supposed to be all about. And so because they had this particular perception of Jesus, that truth was hidden from them. See what I'm saying? We do the same thing. We do the very same thing. You hear something unpleasant, you react against it. And you know what what you do to yourself when you do that? You blind yourself to the promises that follow those hard sayings. 
those blessings that come about from those hard truths. That's often a main obstacle in counseling sessions. A biblical principle is brought forth that applies to the situation, but because it's such a hard thing, because it, you know, gosh, that means I've got to face my guilt or I've got to face something, I've got to change something about myself, and we all hate to change. And we don't. We don't take that principle, we don't apply it, we don't obey it. So you know what happens? We deprive ourselves of the blessing that comes if you were obedient. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. Some folks' attitude is, well, that works for others, but it doesn't work for me. Well, let me ask you a question. Is God's truth truth or not? Is God's truth truth or not? It's not the issue of God's truth being truth. It's our unbelief that hinders it working in our life. Matthew thirteen fifty seven says, And they were offended at him, but Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country, in his own house. Verse 58 is an incredible statement. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Why isn't God working in my life? Check out the belief department. Also, some of us will hear and approve of some truth. We'll hear Brian preach something up here and we'll mentally say, Amen. Preach it, brother. You know, I so agree with that. But you know what we fail to do? <laughs> we fail to let it sink down into our ears. We fail to receive. Yeah, we mentally consent, but we don't receive it. We don't receive it. So when, t- t- when trial and temptation surfaces, we're just like these gals. We forget what we heard. We forget what we heard. 1 Peter 1.12 says, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the truth. I don't know if any of you guys might remember this, but many years ago, I think it was back in the 1980s, uh, Reader's Digest uh, came up with uh, their own Bible. A condensed Bible is what they called called it, and the, their intention was to uh, remove all of what they considered the redundancy in the Bible. So wherever it was that the Bible repeated itself, they just took it out. And so they pre- presented uh, for purchase a Reader's Digest condensed Bible. Because they took all those so-called redundancies out of the Bible. As a side note, February 2013, the company that publishes Reader Digest went bankrupt. I wonder why. Now, Reader's Digest magazine, you still get it, but the, the, the company, the original company went bankrupt. My point is this. Do you know, there's no, first of all, there's no redundancy in the Bible. That, I hope that you understand that's a given. Why do you think God repeats himself in the Bible? Okay. We're stubborn. We're forgetful. It is important. Yeah, we're obstinate. No, I want to do it my way. Yeah, that's why he repeats himself because we're like a bunch of children and we got to be told the same thing time and time and time again. That's why he repeats himself. We might remember the words we read, even even be able to recite. The, I know there's there's folks who can. Isn't it amazing? There's some folks who are just able to recite that Bible by memory. But yet they still forget what they read. They don't remember. Oh, they remember the words, but they don't remember the word. 
I've got that problem. Am I the only one? Yes. Are you guys? Oh, okay. All right. Wow. Wow. When I was a very young believer, I had a very dear friend. And he was the kind of friend that I, I couldn't get enough of his company. I don't know if you've ever known anybody like that. I mean, he was such a godly, encouraging man. I, I couldn't get enough of his company. So, breaks, lunch, I would make a beeline to where he was working when we worked up at TWA. And I'd make a beeline to the bay he was working in. And I'd spend my breaks and my lunch with him. Yes, and sometimes I'd even sneak away from my job to go see him what I should be doing. And I remember just spending time with him and just talking about the Bible and talking about Jesus. You know, and just, just, there was nothing competitive. It was just sharing life in Christ. And I remember he would, he would always, always go, now, Brother Jeff, remember what the Lord wrote in such and such. Or Brother Jeff, remember what Jesus said here. And then he would open his Bible and we would read it together. Remember. Remember. Psalms 119.52, I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Remembered words can be a source of strength and blessing. If only we would remember. Remember. And that's what the gal's problem was. They forgot to remember. They forgot to remember. And then going on in verse 9. Astonished. After these women saw what they saw and heard what they heard, they made a beeline back to the others. Verse 9, and, and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto eleven and all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them which told these things unto the apostles. What is it? And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. You ever heard the saying, it's just too good to be true? <laughs> That's what these decide. It's just too good to be true. The, the news that these women returned with to tell the group, it was, it was unbelievable. Literally to these guys. Unbelievable. In fact, Luke says that it seemed like idle tales. Idle tales. It sounded like nonsense. It was crazy talk. (laughs) It was. It was crazy talk. Where the women were perplexed when they came to an empty tomb, these others were astonished. That's what um, Cleopas later says in uh, verse 22 when he was talking to the Lord and he didn't know it was the Lord he was talking to. He says, Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished which were early at the sepulcher. They were astonished. The word astonished means to be beside oneself in wonder. It's uh, to be knocked off balance over something you've seen or heard. Astonished. Anybody here remember when 9-11 happened? I remember looking at the television. I could not grasp what it was that I was seeing. I wasn't taking in the implications of what was going on. I was astonished. I was astonished. One man defines it this way. Uh, When these women were telling this tale, they thought that they were off their rockers. (laughs) Uh, I remember Jeb Clampett one time said, their loft is out of plume. Yeah. Yeah. They're off their rockers. It's interesting that Luke mentions only Peter. We know Peter and John both ran. But Luke only mentions Peter. Now why do you think that is? Who was it that denied the Lord? Yeah, Peter. And I I can so see this impetuous man, once he hears the news, boom, he's out the door. He's going to go see for himself. 
I can so see that. Now, we can talk about the motive of Peter and the motive of John. I'm not going to get into that. But Peter, that's the first thing he does. Is he goes out and he, and, and, he, and he checks out for himself if he's there. One other thing about this word, idle tales. It's one Greek word uh, translated into two English words. And it's a medical term, which would make sense. Because Luke is what? It's a doctor. And so the medical term means someone jabbering who's in a feverish delirium. Kind of like people who have malaria. They get so feverish they just start babbling. Are you mad? Are you telling us the tomb is empty? And do you expect us to believe that angels told you the reason why? Do you expect us to believe what you are saying? Are you listening to yourselves? Do you realize how ridiculous, how incredible that sounds? That's the reaction that these ladies were getting. The same is true today. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the preaching of the cross is them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. I remember witnessing to a man about the gospel and how to be saved. And he says, I'm sorry, I can't believe that. I just can't believe that. It just sounds too incredible. It sounds too easy. I can't believe that. Because it was foolishness to him. George Carlin once said that Christians worship a dead Jew on a stick. The only problem with that is that Jesus is no longer on the stick. He's no longer dead. I'm thinking Mr. Carlin rues those words now. I consider this. These men and women who were hiding, even denying the resurrection of Jesus, who were so defeated, so despondent, that they couldn't believe he was risen, this very same group of people after Pentecost became such a powerful force that it was testified of them in the book of Acts that they turned the world upside down. What happened? What happened? An empty tomb is what happened. If Jesus had not risen again, I've already mentioned this, we wouldn't have the Gospels, we wouldn't have the Epistles, we wouldn't have the New Testament today. If Jesus didn't rise again, we wouldn't have the New Testament that is so clear about this fact, so bold about this fact. I went through, the, I did a real cursory scan of the New Testament and I stopped at 27 times. 27 times, and there's probably more, 27 times this is what's mentioned about Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and the coming again. Gosh, it almost seems like that's one of the major themes of the New Testament. (laughs) The empty tomb. If the enemy did steal his body, and these guys started preaching the resurrection, if you were the enemy, what would you have done? I would have carted out that corpse. Look, here he is. And if the disciples stole away his body, why would they take a naked body and leave behind the grave clothes? Think about it. If there was a guard on duty and you were able to move that stone without their knowing it, Would you bother to unwrap the pot? No, I'd be scooping the whole thing out and gone. But yet what they found was just the grave clothes. Neatly folded. As though someone kind of passed through them and left them behind. Of course, the reason why we meet on Sunday is because of the day of resurrection. 
Constantine back in 321, he kind of proclaimed Sunday as such. But guess what? Christians have been worshiping on Sunday since almost the very beginning. Since the very beginning, Acts 20, verse 7, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them. So they were, they were meeting even in the book of Acts. And if you're into this kind of thing, the earliest historical recording is found in about 80 A.D. in a letter by a man by the name of Barnabas that talks about meeting for the Lord's Supper and praying certain prayers. So even then they had sort of a, what's the word I'm looking for, a uh, liturgy around the Lord's Supper. As early as then. And what about all the people of every tongue and nation and kindred who have received Jesus Christ as their Savior? Rich and poor, educated, simple, young and old, male and female, who day after day after day experience the risen Lord in their hearts. Because of the resurrected Jesus. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me, he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to a part. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Is that your story? Here's another little soapbox. (laughs) I think it's a great tragedy that many churches today have abandoned these old hymns of the faith that sing the doctrine of the faith. And they've instead chosen to replace these solid doctrinal hymns with, yeah, I'm going to say it, praise and worship music that panders more to the emotions of the flesh than it does to the establishing one in the faith. That's just my opinion. So what's your testimony today? Are you mad enough crazy enough? Are you off your rocker enough to believe that Jesus is no longer in that tomb? That he lives in your heart? That he's preparing a place for you in heaven and one of these days he's going to come and snatch you away. Do you believe that? I hope you do. Father in heaven, we thank you Lord God for the wonderful resurrection of Jesus Christ who guarantees not only who he is, but guarantees us a place to be with him. We thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you, Lord God. Help us, Father, to allow these things to sink down into our ears, change our minds, establish our hearts in the faith. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.